0: This is Investor
1: Creator. Oh, are we home? Are we? We're, oh. we're on. Hello, everybody. on time.
0: Welcome. Uh, appreciate y'all being with us today. We don't even know we're here. No. So uh, appreciate you guys being with us and on time. So uh, for those that are, uh, the the three people that don't know Tony, this is Tony.
1: Hi there. Good morning with
0: us, and we have color Good coordinated morning. both. We both have. Me, Tony, Tasha, come on in Tasha. here just a sec. Yeah, Tasha, let. It, uh,
1: well,
0: maybe next time we can. Get we
1: are going to have to cut holes in our the, our jeans right here so we can get. Look,
0: well, damn, Tasha, you look like you got eight by a lion.
1: Yep, you look real beachy today. You hadn't gotten home yet, have you? <laughs> that
0: would settle that. And that sounds about like the weekend me and Tony just had. <laughs> Uh, because we went which to
1: part the, of it beachy, or we got to get our pants eaten off of us, or what? Yeah, all of it. All between
0: it. the bear uh, and uh, the, <laughs> the fraternity party that ensued uh, at David Alexander's event. So David <laughs> has a, a mastermind in the Smoky Mountains uh, twice a year, and uh, we were fortunate to to, to go. We try to make it yeah. every single one, and uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the time. So the date, and it was David's birthday. And for those that know David at all, then, you know, he's quite eccentric and that's multiplied on his birthday and especially with copious amounts of vodka Red Bull.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it has been, I don't know how many years since I did a group shot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) And you were forced. (laughs) Yeah, you were forced. That was it. You, You weren't, you didn't really love him. And you weren't for his birthday unless you got in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, complete buy-in. And
0: buy-in's important. Uh, I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later today. So uh, we had a great time. And it really, you know, I'm thinking about what do we do for Tuesday morning coffee today? And we just got done going through the big five motivators. And I was thinking about uh, really the importance of the mentor-mentee <laughs> relationship. Because that's exactly what that entire weekend was about was you know, there were different people there and there were different, like Jerry had people that he yeah. had trained. and
1: Jerry Ritchie. Yeah, Jerry Ritchie.
0: And uh, David certainly had people that he had trained, right. and people that we trained, you know, Will and Matt and Jordan, some other people. Shannon was there, right. you know, a, a lot of our people. And so it was just, it was a great time. It was. One. It's always a great time to be around like-minded individuals. And some, I think, of the most impactful conversations that were had were either about personal issues or belief or more about growth than the the
1: technicalities
0: of how do we do another deal. Right. So it was a a good, good time and we were happy to be there, but that inspired me to talk about uh, today. We're talking about the importance of the mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah. So we're excited to do that. So going into this, you know, I I have, I try to come up with some type of uh, outline for the calls and Tony usually derails me. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I'm not really sure exactly where we're going to end up. I'm the derailer. He's a derailer, but, uh, you know, thinking about this, I thought it would be fun if we just kind of shared who our first mentor was. All right. And so going through, um, what that person did for us, uh, their character traits <laughs> and, uh, see if there's any overlap.
1: Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting just when you start just talking about it, then you start having ideas about things, you know. So I think there there are definitely mentors that you knew at the time. I'm somehow being coached or mentored in some way. And then I think there are mentors that you didn't know at the time. That's what was happening. And years later, you look back and you realize how well that person um, mentored you. Uh, without even knowing probably that's what they were doing, yes, it was really kind of the opposite of my dad and my mom, like my dad was aware he was mentoring me and coaching me in an area and uh I remember he made the statement one time that he knew by about the third grade that uh, there were going not going to be any educational scholarships in our home, <laughs> and he he was going to have to make ball players out of both of us. <laughs> so. <laughs> He coached the hell out of us, but <laughs> you know, we were in fourth grade. and We were running suicides in the backyard, you know, but it was phenomenal. He was an amazing coach. I learned so much about now looking back about mentoring from him. <clears throat> like he always, if he was, if he was doing ground balls, he was teaching you how to be a better infielder, catch ground balls. He'd hit that ball hard to you. He'd already told you, you got three things you got to do. You got to stay centered, keep the ball right in the middle between your legs, no matter where it goes, you scoop, you move over this way, keep it centered, keep your butt down, especially if you're going to be tall. Mm. If you don't, you won't get that glove down low enough, and that glove's got to be on the ground when that ball gets there, so it doesn't get by you either way, and it doesn't get under you and um And when I didn't do those those fundamentals, and it went right through my legs. Or it was a little hot and it got past me to the right because I didn't move over quick enough. He would not point out that, that I missed it. He'd just say, he'd find the one thing I did right. And he'd say, way to get that glove down. Go get the ball. Interesting. Uh
0: huh.
1: Interesting. He, and what I did wrong was something else, but he didn't even bring it up. He'd just say, good job on getting that butt down. Go get the ball. Let's do it again. Interesting. And we do it over and over again. And he would tell me what I did right each time, which I guess was making me want to do that, you know, and uh until I would got it right. And then when I got it right, he said, OK, let's do that three more times. And and we would go until I did it right three straight times. Then that'd be it. That, that's fantastic. And. I and mean, this is
0: why these conversations have to happen, because I'm just now starting to train my daughter in jujitsu. So we got some mats in the garage and, and she wants to train. And I used to train kids jujitsu years ago anyway. But uh, I don't know that I'm just pointing out the positives. So this is something for me that is going to be good to work
1: on. Well, later, you know, later after I was an adult man, he began coaching girls softball because he didn't have these two boys at home anymore. And when he was in high school, they didn't have baseball yet. And uh, high at the high school level, you played fast pitch softball. It was in the early 1950s and he was a great fast pitch uh, pitcher. And so he started coaching and mentoring girls in fast pitch softball because it pissed him off that girls were not getting scholarships at the college scholarships at the rate that boys were. And they didn't have as many opportunities at the college level with the numbers of sports and, and, scholarships were available for them to be able to go. So he started coaching girls, fast pitch softball. And he did the same thing. He'd make their dads come with them. Even if the couple, even if their mom and dad were divorced, he made their dad come with them or he wouldn't coach them. And they sat on a milk bucket down there with a with a uh, catcher's glove and they would fire it as fast as they could. And they had to learn to catch it. Some of those guys were not athletic. I mean, they were scared to death. Some of them get out of the way because their girls would throw it fast. He, even then he had, I don't know whether he knew exactly everything he was coaching or teaching, but he said, he told me one time, one of the guys said, she's throwing it too hard. He said, you know, I understand that you talk a little loud to her at the house too. Whoa. I mean, it it was, uh, it was amazing the way that he, and he was very intentional about it, but I think it was happening to him as he went. I don't think he knew all of what, you know, had a game plan of everything you were doing. Yeah. And, um, but he was a heck of a coach. Then the other would have been my mom looking back. Okay. You know, it was just the way she lived. She was the oldest of 11. They were sharecroppers. And so, uh, nothing was too hard. She'd already lived through, she said, you know, sometimes, some morning there was more dirt than oatmeal in that bowl. Wow. wow. you know, so, I mean, you learn different things from different people and I mean, I just knowing your relationships with Gran, and I mean, I see so many places where you got this amazing coaching, especially from her.
0: Oh, yeah. And and there's no doubt that she was the the biggest influence on in my life, mm-hmm. without a doubt. But uh, for me, the, the first person that comes to mind was, uh, and I don't even think I've, I've talked to you about this, uh, was this, this man named Dina. Now, I was raised by my grandparents from the time I was 18 months old, and Papa died when I was 14. And I wouldn't say that Papa was a positive male influence. He was extremely masculine, but he was tough as nails, yeah. and had a a, a very uh, dark background, right. you know. And he was different with me than he was his children. But I know that, like, my uncle went home and told my aunt that uh, that my grand grandfather was very sick, and she said, "Well, Bubba, how do you know that?" And he said, "Well, he he told me he loved me for the first time today." <laughs> and he died uh, I think the next day. Uh so um <laughs> but he, he always told me he loved and he was very very good to me that's not what I'm saying but he's not what I would say was that positive role model for me. He he taught taught me a lot of what I didn't want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's value in that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of value in that. But uh Papa died when I was 14, when I was 15 I got a job at Foodline at uh, the grocery store. And I you know I started off pushing carts and doing all that bagging groceries and uh, then I went to the produce department when I was, I think, 17, and uh, the manager there, his name was Dino. And Dino was the first example that I got to know personally of a positive man that uh, took care of his family and was very positive, mm-hmm. extremely hardworking, mm-hmm. and was just a, a joy to be around. Mm-hmm. And and kind of like, to your point, Dino never sat down with me and said, hey, let's have a conversation of how I'm going to mentor you. You know, but he first showed me what to do. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, like being like Dino is a good thing. Now, he he wasn't rich. He worked at the grocery store. And he's the first person that I think that I'd ever seen really one on one that had a positive view without money. Real money. Uh You know, so he, he didn't tie his net worth with his self worth. Right. You know, he knew his value outside of that. And I remember specifically one time me and my high school sweetheart had broken up and he could tell I was kind of down. And he said, Brad, what's wrong, man? <laughs> and I said, well, me and Heather broke up and uh, I tell him about everything. And he got this big smile on his face, like, like he couldn't smile anymore. And he said, that's her loss. That's her loss. Yeah. And I was like, well, damn, know, maybe you're right. <laughs> you know, and so he was the first person that I, I think, uh, showed me the value of that mentor mentee relationship and i don't think he has any idea that the the impact that he had on. It. and that just goes to show you guys like you can be around people and have an impact that you don't realize
1: oh there's no doubt i mean that you know that whole style of mentoring a lot of times we don't recognize it until later on we don't know what's happening at the time you know right but boy the impact oh yeah that has. um,
0: Yeah. And I was at a time in my life where like one one of my best friends back then is now a paraplegic
1: because he
0: got pilled up drinking a bunch, dove into the wrong end of the pool and fractured everything in his neck. uh, You know, I was with another guy that uh, is now in prison for for murder, you know, and back, back when you're 16 and 17 years old, you can't really tell who's going to be who. By the time you get to be 23, 24, 25, usually that that fork in the road right after high school begins to take people down different paths, uh-huh. and you can always jump different roads, right? But uh, Dina was was that person that I think really kept me on a better path because he encouraged me, like, "Hey, man, come to church with me." And I never did go to church with him, but I ended up starting to go to church, uh-huh. you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting the impact that you can have that you don't realize without even trying. Yeah, he just he just he was just coming to work and being himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't go out of his way to do anything.
1: You know, it's kind of interesting. While you're talking, it just I remembered one time uh, my dad why he told me he end, always ended on three when I do it right three times. He said that's it, and he said because you're going to walk away and and you're going to have feelings about yourself. They're either going to be based on what you did right, or they're going to be based on what you did wrong. So he, he would do the same thing with those girls when he was coaching and pitching. He would go until they they did several right in a row. He'd say, Okay, that's good. We'll call it a day. And they walk away with this thought, this memory, this bopping around in their brain of how well they did on that day. And right. he said it builds belief in yourself, it builds confidence. Well, those are kind of some like some sometimes non intentional correct coaching and mentoring. Correct. And I think maybe you when you thought about this what we talk about today, you might've had in mind some more intentional kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. So like what we're talking about specifically is growing the business, you know? So, and I believe in having mentors in your life in, in all aspects, you know, like based on your value system, which everybody has a different value system, but you know, it like, as an example, I just posted on Facebook today that, uh, in may I'm going to sign up for the Chattanooga triathlon, mm-hmm. but I can't swim. Right. Now I can doggy paddle with the best of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, but I don't think that's a good process <laughs> going into a triathlon. <laughs> so, you know, I understand that I need someone to coach me through this. And so I post them on Facebook like, hey, I need somebody for this." Yeah, So we should have mentors in all areas of our life that we have a value system. Right. But uh, what we're talking about today, we're real estate guys. That's right. And gals. So that's the value that we're placing on today. But uh, so I'll kind of tell you about my, my story. Uh, I started off selling real estate when I was 18. I uh, had a mentor with that, Dale Patterson. And yeah. uh, he was my eighth grade math teacher. He, he was uh, a good mentor for me. And I really, I could have talked about him because uh, uh, he was was there for me when Papa died, uh-huh. you know, where, when he didn't have to be. He went out of his way to be. There. Oh, yeah.
1: 14 years old. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah.
0: Sold real estate through college. And then, you know, I realized, like, I had to do something different because I didn't want to just sell real estate. I wanted to own something. Well, I had three problems. I had no money. I had no credit. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Uh, three minor issues there, you know, and so back <coughs> prior to Bigger Pockets, which is like the big real estate forum now, there was a forum called FlippingHome.com, and uh, you had really what are, are now like OGs in the real estate game. You, you had Mitch Steven, who I've had on my podcast, I've been on his. Uh, he's one of the the grant the Godfathers of owner financing. You had Sean McCluskey, who is uh, now a national speaker, doing. He was doing short sales at the time, so he's kind of like the short sale guy. And then he had David Alexander, which was like the creative finance guy, mostly owner finance, but you know, basically purchasing with, with creative financing. And, um, but this is when I first became privy to the idea of wholesaling, which I didn't even know existed being a real estate agent for three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. The idea that you can buy, like you, you can put a house under contract and then sell the paper and get a fee versus you know trying to be a realtor, okay? Uh, so I remember one time I had a question about a house. I thought I had a deal and I messaged David on the forum and I said, Hey, I've got a great deal. You know, here's the numbers on it. And this was maybe at like, I don't know, 10, 10 o'clock at night, which back when I was 22, I stayed up that late. Yeah. I, I very rarely do now, except for when I'm a, a Tony at David's event. But, uh, I, I remember I messaged him. And he replied immediately with a phone number. That's all he put was a phone number. And I, I replied back because I didn't, I thought it was a mistake, you know, cause this would be like, I'm, I'm a Catholic priest and the Pope just said, Hey, call me. Yeah. You know, and, uh, he said, just call me. So I call him and, uh, he spent about 15 minutes sharing with me how much I didn't know, <laughs> which was fair. Very, you know, he's, very he's, fast. Dude. Yeah. Quickly. And so, but he, he showed me like, Hey, this is not the, the route to go. This is not the route to go. And he would say very cryptic things like never buy unless you sell and talk about notes and cash flow and yield, those kinds of things. And I could tell very quickly that, that he knew more than my accounting and finance professors mm-hmm. that I was that I was learning from, you know. And so there, the first point that he challenged me, he said, well, Brad, do you want to own some real estate or do you want to sell real estate? I said, well, I want to own real estate. He said, well, why do you still have a real estate license? I said, well, this is how I make an income. He said, well, I promise you when you burn the boat. You'll find a way to get to shore, you know? And so, uh, beginning of 2010, I retired my real estate license, having never done an investment deal. That was that leap of faith. But really, I I knew that for me, I I couldn't do both. I couldn't wear two hats at the same time. Right. And uh, it took me eight months to hit my first deal, mostly because I had to unlearn everything that I had learned through through selling real estate. But, uh, you know, then I hit my first deal, I got 20,000 in cash a $17,000 note, and I think it paid $415 a month, something Mm -hmm. like that. And so he really took me from absolute startup through struggle to some semblance of success within 24 months, you know, where when I started, I would have looked at what I was doing in year two as being successful. Now looking back, it's kind of child's play, you know, but for my growth, that's what I had to do. You know, me and Tony, I think I showed it to you. I found my goals from 2016 at the very beginning of the year I'd set and now they're, they're laughable, like absolutely funny. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, that's kind of my, my transition that I never could have figured out this business without someone helping me through that. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not because I'm not smart. It's not because <clears> I don't <throat> have the work ethic, but it's very difficult to cr- try and create an entire process because there's so much to this,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, so that was my experience with David, which was, uh, you know, my first business mentor. And I never could have figured out anything in terms of how to do this business without him. So what, one thing I think will be kind of fun is to talk about what a mentor does specifically. Okay. I think the first thing that a mentor does, and as I came up with this list, <laughs> there, there were some things, some intangibles that I, I hadn't really thought about in a long time. I think the first one is pretty obvious that a mentor shortens the learning curve. The mentor shortens the learning curve. So the ability to, in this business, to buy more houses in less time than what you could have done by yourself. And so I think that you can probably say when you got involved in the business, both partnering with me on what we do, Mm -hmm. but also doing your own deals, that you found the same to be true.
1: Well, there's no doubt. I mean, that's what I was just thinking about while you were talking there and is um you know i i've kind of learned in i I guess there's probably some sequences we learn in like at first i thought i was learning about the uh, real estate because i had no background really you know so i did and i did i learned some general things about real estate i had several very close friends who were realtors and successful realtors but i didn't really get into their business i didn't So that was good. I learned a lot more about real estate in general, but then I realized there was a difference between real estate in general and, uh, and what we do. You know, it's a larger swath of things because it includes banking. It includes, you know, lots of things, even legal stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, that was, was good. Um, and, and this stuff, I mean, I've learned in two ways one you would we'd talk about it and you'd say well now here's where you're gonna have to do this here's why we have to do it that way but because i jumped in from scratch and you brought me on with me having no knowledge most of the time i was learning because i had a, one of these deals in front of me and i was having to walk through it right so you you so speed up your learning curve when you're hearing and you're doing at the same time right i mean it's one of the things i tell people when about the Facebook, uh, private Facebook group we have in our deal because you're seeing other people do their deals live.
0: Correct. So yeah. you're
1: not only learning how to do it with your leads. You're learning how to do it with another 100 investors leads.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: And I tell people to get, get the deal analyzer out and work their leads on Facebook on there and find out what they should do. Should this be a fix and flip or should it be creative funded, and why? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I think
0: that that's pretty obvious for people. If it took just as long to get to the same destination, there would be very little reason for someone to, to join with us or with anybody else mm-hmm. if they could create the same results themselves. You know, but like you said, there's a lot to the business. You have to understand title and contract law and uh, construction to a certain extent. Whether you're rehabbing or not, you have to understand costs and how to negotiate people skills. You know, there's so much to the business. Mm-hmm. And that's also why, I like, if you're a solopreneur, you have a shelf life in the business because you're not great at everything and you're always going to have to do things. No sneezing over there. You have to do things that uh, you're not going to enjoy. Right. So, and that's only multiplied as you have more deals. So first thing, it's going to shorten your your learning curve. Uh, the second thing, and, and this is in kind of relation to this, is having a good mentor is a cost saver. Having a good mentor is a cost saver. And so what I mean by that, there's two main functions of this in the business. Number one, like whenever I'm looking at a deal with someone, the first thing I want to figure out is how can I poke holes in this and make sure that they're not doing a bad deal, mm-hmm. okay? The the energy suck that one bad deal is will, will mitigate the gain energetically of 10 good ones. So it's far, far more important that we stay away from bad deals than it is that we do great deals, mm-hmm. okay? So the first thing that we do as a cost saver is keep people from bad deals. And then the secondly, the, the second one is, we're able to, again, going back to number one, it, it's a time saver, you know? So like staying away from bad deals is, is important, but there's, we can always do another deal to uh, financially offset yeah. the bad one, but we can't get time back, right? right? So being able to mitigate these kinds of situations and cut the, the learning curve down to create more time effectively in the business, you know, is, is a huge thing. And so, if you look at compound interest charts where you start off with a, a certain base of capital and, and you run it at, say, 10% per year for 30 years, the gain, the path, the, the last two years is almost the same as the front 10. Mm-hmm. And so, it's so important that we learn how to do things and get things streamlined at the very beginning so we can have success and begin to turn capital so that those last two years are the, the biggest impact that they can be versus really struggling for for years. And it's one of the saddest things that I see is, you know, in this business, the 80-20 rule, I think, is forgiving. So eighty twenty rule basically says, in part, in this context, that uh, 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort. 80% of the deals are done, done by 20% of the investors. I think it's more like 95-5 in what we do, that 95% of the transactions are done by 5% of the investors. And most people remain in struggle forever. And so getting through that, creating success quickly is going to be super important, especially in year 10, 12, 15, 20, because you've had success for a longer period of time.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking right now as you're talking about, and it just hit me, two years ago, you know how I write down my goals before every year. Mm-hmm. and then I ask myself if if it's a goal and it was in my heart, why am I not already doing it? What am I afraid of? And so then I write down what my biggest fear is, and then I put myself in a position to where I have to do it. So there are three things that have been the, thi- that have been the three things I've been most fearful of, and I have not, year after year, put myself in a position to do them mm. uh, until uh, Tasha put me in a position where I had to do them. I had to face, I had to learn how money works because our business is not a real estate business. You really, you, you don't really make money until you understand how money works and how it moves and how it grows. The second one was technology. Mm. And I've always made jokes in light of it that I'm old. I don't have to That's why I have people around me know how to r- work laptops, you know, and they work theirs and tell me what to say, but that's BS. It's like, I don't, uh, it's, it's like, it's really just a joke to hide my fear. And the mm-hmm. third one was how the marketing works in this business. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in a position where I have to learn all three or I don't make money.
0: <laughs> thanks to you too. <laughs>
1: and right, we can help. Yeah. That's another form of coaching and mentoring though. Yeah. You put people in positions to where they're forced to grow. hundred percent. And that that's actually the,
0: the third one for me. It creates belief and energy.
1: Yes. Okay. So
0: had David not been just so nonchalant of, well, do you want to sell real estate or own it? Well, why don't you just retire your license? I mean, for for him, it was the most easy, obvious answer that he could have said. But for me, it was like, good Lord, like it's cutting off your nose, you know? So it, it was one of those things that his belief inspired me. It's like, well, I trust this guy. He has more experience than I do. He, I think, has my best interest at heart, and so let's trust the process mm-hmm. and move forward the way that he mm-hmm. wanted me to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so, what it forced me to do was pressure wash houses that spring with a college degree, <laughs> and and make some kind of income because my wife was a kindergarten teacher. Uh, for those that don't know the the background of kindergarten teachers, they're they're not highly paid individuals. Uh, our teachers are are paid far too little. Yes. Far too much as expected from them. Yes, but um, you know, had David not pushed me to do that, I never would have cut off me my income from selling real estate, started pressure washing houses. All the time I'm listening to real estate podcasts as I'm pressure washing this house. I understand I didn't love pressure washing houses, but I loved that I was moving forward in what I felt was the direction that I needed to go. But he created a belief system in me that allowed me to move forward that I wouldn't have had otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm. OK, mm, this is already maybe my most if, the 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 one that we've done, the Tuesday morning coffee we've done, that's challenged me the most while we're doing it. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just realizing so many things that that so many ways I've been coached since I got into this business with you and then so many ways I have hidden from coaching. I've hidden from coaching. Most of us in our culture are not taught how money works as children. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We go through school and we learn all kinds of crap that we will not ever use the rest of our life, but things that are important that we're going to need to know, we're not taught how to do that, which makes me want to ask the question why. But and here I am, 61, and learning some of the most important things I'll ever need to know. Now, I get technology because it happened while I was alive. (laughs) thanks to Al Gore. (laughs) Hashtag Al Gore. That's right. It happened while I was alive is a big change, but how, how money works should be one of the first things all kids are taught. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, my daughter, she, she lost two, two teeth in the past week. The first one we were gone. Yeah. The second one, she said that, uh, it was, it was hanging on barely. And on Sunday morning, uh, my wife called me and said, uh, well, Mirabeth isn't eating until you come home because she's afraid that she's going to lose her tooth and she doesn't want to lose two teeth while daddy's gone. And so I was like, well, I guess it's time for me to go home so my little yeah. girl can eat.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting there in, a, in the middle of listening to a session and this goes past me.
0: Yeah, There's wind at, I
1: looked up and Brad's out of here. He's yeah. packed up and gone.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the tooth fairy comes in our house. Yeah. And uh, he pays silver dollars. It's how money works. Yeah, but <laughs> the tooth fairy was late, and so I'm like, "Honey," she said, "What? Where'd the tooth fairy go?" I said, "Well, well, honey, he's he's been delayed, <laughs> uh, but that means that your payment's delayed, and that also means that you get what's called interest. That's <laughs> okay. So instead of uh, what I normally pay is two silver dollars, she got three silver dollars that are under her pillow right now. Right. She, she's forgotten about it, but it's still under there.
1: <laughs> so, uh,
0: you guys are are." Proof that the payment was made uh, with interest at that date.
1: Because but, you happened to see the tooth fairy when he came in and left.
0: Yeah, correct. We we, we gave each other some doubt. But uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is something that I'm cognizant of because I, I didn't really know how money worked early on. Uh, but I, I made it. I knew it was important because in my family, it was a big thing. You know, I remember being upset when I was five years old and telling granny and papa, I said, well, I'm afraid we're going to run out of money for food now that's a strange thing for a five-year-old to be upset about mm-hmm. you know but and they said something they said well if we run out of money we'll just sell something and i was like well we got a couple houses and a couple farms i guess that makes sense mm-hmm. and so i settled down and you know but I, I knew that money was important and so i made it uh, a goal even in my teens to read financial books and and those kinds of things and and my undergraduate was in accounting and that did help learning how money flowed through a financial right. system you know so, um, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that it comes down to, and this is totally off topic, and that's okay. I struggle with how to educate my children in a fundamental system because I don't want them to have an employee mindset. And I think that the reason that money's not taught in schools, even at the basic level, like credit, how to do your taxes, those kinds of things, that you really need one way or the other is that they want people to rely upon a financial system that needs employees.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that's that's what I was thinking about a while ago when you looked over here at me because you felt like I was about to say something. And my mind was fogged up right then with, there's a reason why we don't teach kids how to know how money works. Yeah, Because then the few that do know how it works won't have anybody to work for them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. All right,
0: cool. So number four for me, a mentor and the mentor-mentee relationship increases vision and goals and creates fundamental shifts in thinking, fundamental shifts in thinking. So David was the first person that I had ever been around that actually had financial freedom. So not meaning that he had a high income. i had been around people that had that, but I've never been around someone that had enough income passive to where they could not work and do whatever they wanted. That possibly I had one person, but he was very old. You know, so here was David in his 40s at the time that hadn't worked in three or four years at all. And he said this week, this weekend that his daughter had never seen him work until she turned, what, 15 years old, Mm -hmm. or 16 years old, ever. She said, he said, not one single minute of work, you know? And so for me, it, it created a belief system of like, hey, there's this whole other world out there that's possible that I didn't even know existed. Right. You know, we came from a family of farmers and I know that you saw your parents,
1: yeah. Work all the time as well. Right. You know, so. And I I don't have a problem with working. What I have a problem with is when, when somebody's not taught how to make what they're receiving for their work more. Right. Right. By the very definition of being an employee, you're
0: not going to be paid what you're worth because there, there's a profit limit. Yes. So if you're paid what, in terms of the value that you create, then there would be no profit incentive and they would have to let that person go. Now, what you have as an employee, which is not a bad thing, it's just depending on how you're wired and what your value system is, is you don't have to continually think about how to create the next bit of value because the system's been put in place for you to create create that value. Right. You just have to put your time in. Right. You know. So I don't think that the entrepreneur life is for everyone, but I think it's for more people than what they expect it is. They just don't have the system and process to plug into
1: to create success. I also like the fact that entrepreneurial-owned businesses also can set up the people who work with them for success. Yes. There are ways to pay people that create opportunities for them to make much, much more than they would if they were just paid $11 and 50 cents an hour. Right.
0: And I don't even think that that's uh, ethical. You know, if you don't have a business that can pay people a decent living wage, then you need a better business. Yeah. You know, but that's just me. And that that's completely separate thing. Uh, next for me, the mentor-mentee relationship will troubleshoot custom problems. Troubleshoot custom problems. So I know specifically, you know, I, I get to know my people really, really well. And I've had conversations where it's like, Brad, here's my issue. My spouse... Uh, is not on board. And this is what I'm I'm dealing with. And I don't know, but it may be the last straw in this relationship. And th- these are, are married people with children. I mean, this is heavy, mm-hmm. you know, but I also understand the dynamics of this probably a little bit better, not because I've personally dealt with it, but because I've, I've seen it in people, mm-hmm. you know, so I've seen this before. And so I remember specifically, uh, one of the guys, he said all of this, like, they and I just told my wife, like, hey, you know, I'm going to do this whether you like it or not. And I told him, like, that's the right thing to feel. I'm not sure that's the right thing to say, you know, but here's, here's what we're going to do. Like, do not talk about the business, period. If things go well, don't talk about it. Show it. Be about it. Don't talk about it. Don't be in a position where you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so I remember he had a deal. he was set to clear about $70,000 on this deal. And he said, you know, Brad, I'm so excited. Can I tell my wife? I said, hell no. Uh -uh. Day before closing, should I tell my wife? Nope. He's closed. He said, Brad, when do I tell my wife? I said, you never say a word. 70000 hit the account. Now that was substantial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she called him a little frantic. It was like, hey, can you call the bank? Somebody's made a mistake. There's $70,000 in the account that wasn't there before. They said, well, there's no mistake. She said, what do you mean? He said, what do you mean? What do I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've been real estate. I just got a wire from a closing idea. And so some people, I get it, need to see the results before they can have the belief system. And that's fine. But I felt honored that he would come to me like that. Right. Such a serious issue. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we, we gained it well and it worked out perfect. And so I, he doesn't have that issue anymore. You no, know? he
1: does not have that issue anymore. I mean, that's the perfect advice. Yeah. we talking about it. Let it speak for itself.
0: Yeah. All right. Next. And I think this is final. And this, this one was a big thing for me. You know, um, especially when it comes to everybody has doubt and fear. Everybody has doubt and fear. I mean, to the point that if you're not having doubt and fear, you're not doing it because you're not growing. No doubt. So if you're having doubt and fear, you have to voice that, but it needs to be in the mentor mentee relationship. It should not be literally with anyone else Mm. because you, you talk about this to your friend They don't have the context of being successful in the area that you're trying to be better in to help you. So it may make you feel a little bit better, sort of, but there's no benefit to it. But in the mentor-mentee relationship, you you can have people that come to you and say, hey, I'm having this problem. I'm not sure that this is going to work. And I, David even uh, talked about this over the weekend, that 90 days in, I, I said the same thing to him. Hey, David, I, I don't know if this real estate stuff works, mm-hmm. which is so funny now, but, uh, you have to have that mentor mentee relationship to, to be able to voice the concern and get positive feedback on what you can do. Otherwise, there's not buy-in. So the mentor mentee relationship has to run both ways. So it's a two-way street. It's like the, the mentor should be there and available, but the mentee has to seek, seek it out. Mm-hmm. So it's like when, when the student's ready, the teacher will come kind of the same thing. So if you have if you're having fear, you're having doubt, you have to go to go to the mentor and say, "Hey, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Give me the feedback." Because otherwise, you get feedback, you feel like that person doesn't have the context.
1: Well, and, and you hear you know, we hear that a lot from someone who's not asking questions. Yeah, they sit there totally quiet, they never raise their hand, they never say a word, and then they get upset because they feel like they're not being coached.
0: Yeah. But I, I, I would say that's extremely rare for us. Like yeah. our, our community is so tight, knit, so tight knit, you know, everybody's jumping in trying to help everybody. And, and it's so much fun to even be a part of. But uh, we have to have that. So it's like for me on a triathlon, I don't know how to swim right now. Hey, I've got this concern. And maybe that person can say, oh, totally understand. That's a real concern that that you float and can't swim. Mm-hmm. And by float, we mean barely, Yeah, you know. But here's what I've seen with other people.
1: So, Brad, swimming aside, uh-huh. are you saying to me that you are committed to the, to the triathlon? Oh, 100%. So if swimming were not an issue, you're in. I'm in. You're sure? I'm sure. All right. That's yeah. all I want to know. Okay. We got that settled. We're, we're going to swim lessons right. right after this. That's exactly swim right. In camp. I'll
0: be in there with a bunch of 12-year-olds. I will tell you, I'll say, we'll we have
1: pictures on. next week of Brad and floaties. <laughs> the arm floaties. Well, I think I'll have a duck instead. I, <laughs> I'm going to have a
0: duck, you know, around my waist, and and we can just uh, go on down the pool. So That's right. That'd be good. Guys, at the end of the day, I could not have accomplished what I've accomplished in really any area of my life without having the people that ported me. Yeah. Okay, so if you need help in your business, I'm not the best swimming coach, but I can help you buy a lot of houses. So, so reach out to us, support at com if you're interested. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I just want to end by saying you've just done a ton of coaching by saying, I'm going to be in a triathlon and I don't know how to swim. Because what you just did is modeled for every, every one of us out there who all have some fear in some area of our life. And I talked about my three yeah. this morning, especially in our business. Unless you see somebody mentor just coming out and just openly saying what, what they've not, they don't know how to do, or they're even been afraid of. Yeah. I mean, that that's how we learn to do things, is we get to a place where we say, I'm not going to be afraid of this anymore. Even if I am afraid, I'm going to do it anyway. That's it. So coaching and mentoring is powerful. And uh, it's easy to coach things that are going to be okay or relatively easy for me. I'm just going to get better at something I already know how to do. Right. But when you get coached at stuff you're scared shitless about, You're afraid to tell anybody about boom that's when you you've got a coach so you just did a great deal of coaching right
0: well thank you thank you i mean i'm not going to say i'm going to set any world records but i'm going to do the damn thing that's right and that's it you know so it's like and and the thing is like once you commit i'm going to do this it's already done you just have to go through the process Mm -hmm. you know and that part's kind of fun when you know the end result Mm -hmm. but that that comes from certainty and that again goes back to right So anyway, we'll call it a day. Appreciate you guys. If you need anything, reach out. Otherwise, we'll see you next
1: week. TMC.